had prepared would day in three minutes. So, um, I can? No, I can't. But we, we will start anyway. But look, I'm very relaxed about this because I, I, I just want the Holy Spirit always, always, always to be free to flow in our midst. Because it's not about what I might have planned, although I do believe I planned it with the Holy Spirit, but it's not about us sticking rigidly to some kind of plan. This is about us coming together so that God can minister to us and prepare us for what he has for us between Sundays. So I wanted to share some thoughts on Hebrews, not Hebrews, Hebrews is on the sign up there because I didn't have time to change it. Revelation chapter 4. It's taken us a little while to get to this point and we've spent quite some weeks looking at the letters to the churches, the letters to the seven churches and, and exploring uh, what those letters meant for the churches that actually existed at the time, uh, what those letters meant or mean for the church today and how they might apply to us in our own individual spiritual walks. Chapter 4 really is a, a preface to the rest of the book of Revelation. So we're moving from the letters now, in a sense, to the nitty-gritty of what God was showing John about the end of human history, about the time when Jesus returns to earth. And Revelation chapter 4 is really setting the scene and uh, saying, wake up, I have something important to share with you. And John records this. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant, oh, sorry, like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Wow. This, what, what have I done? I can Oh, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I could, all I could see was the little white man because I can't see the rest of the thing on the screen up, up at the back. What's happened here? And I could see people peering. And, what happened to my scripture? I don't know what happened to my scripture, but ain't she's got it. She's fixed it now. Hallelujah. So, now one, one of the um, first things for us to understand is that basically the remainder of Revelation is a picture of stuff happening in heaven and on earth. And, and heaven is generally, generally portrayed as a temple. And so obviously, uh, readers back at the time that John was writing, they would understand that because many of them had come from a Jewish background. And so they understood the centrality of the temple to worship. And what's going on in heaven? Worship. So for readers in those early days of Christian history, the idea of heaven as a temple would have been something that would have been easy for them to understand. But I love this uh, concept of the trumpet 
blast. Because there are two things about the trumpet. It's either to raise people's awareness that something is about to happen. It could be an announcement of some news or it could be an impending disaster. But whatever it was, the trumpet was a call to attention. And I think here God is saying through the angel to, to John, I have something important to share with you. I have something important to share with you. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. This is amazing, you know, because a lot of the in a lot of the apocalyptic literature, the, the writer, their story was actually about battling and battling and battling until they get to the throne. But here there's no battle. John was called up and he was there in an instant. And I think this is actually indicative of our relationship with God. You know what? As David suggested, see, Jesus did it. We don't have to battle. As I've often said, Christianity is not a half and puff religion. We don't have to make a loud noise. We don't have to jump up and down. We don't have to shout and holler to get close to God or to get God to do something. He's called us up. He's called us up. And He'll actually literally transport us there because the Bible assures us we're living in heavenly places. That's where we're seated. Our spiritual position is up with Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father. So I think the contrast here with what John is recording and what so many other apocalyptic writers have recorded is that it's not through our huff and puff, through our efforts, that we come into relationship with God, that we become those in a place where God can show us things. I love it. I love it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. It's not a direct description of God, but it really speaks about his nature. And what's the nature of God? Well, he's pure, he's holy. And, and um, jasper or diamonds, some translations use the word diamond, Jasper or diamonds are indicative of purity and of holiness. Carnelian is a deep red, a symbol of God's wrath. Or some people say wrath. I'll be Those people would be wrong. <laughs> and uh, emerald is green. It's the dominant colour 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 in the rainbow <laughs> and it's representative of God's mercy so you see God is holy and as David shared he really cannot be in the presence of sin 
That's where his wrath is directed. His wrath is directed towards sin. But then there's mercy. It was because of this quality of God that he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to be crucified, that we might not die but have everlasting life. We might not perish but live forever. All that in just those few verses. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Then we go on. 24 thrones surrounded him. Oh, yes, I better move on to you. 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. Well, I tell you what, a lot of ink has been spilled on interpreting these few verses. And uh, I've done quite a lot of reading and it can become extremely confusing. Let it be said. It, it's, it's hard work figuring it all out. But, but what I reckon is this. The 24 elders are representative of the church. You see, a little later on in Revelation, we're told that we're kings and priests. And, and I know some people have developed authority that says some of us are kings and some of us are priests. I actually think we're both. We're both kings and priests. Because we don't have to go through a priestly class to have relationship with God. Relationship with God comes through our acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. So often uh, in this kind of writing, the, the elders represent, every elder would represent many, many people. So it's reasonable in the whole context of the book of Revelation to look upon these as representative of the church, the whole church. Because guess where we're going to be, ultimately? Obviously in heaven. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. Well, this is often a way of describing deity. God created it and controls it. The thunder and the lightning. And his voice is often referred to as a sound like thunder. And he himself is the source of all light. In front of the throne were seven tortured with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. Now, I did uh, refer to the sevenfold spirit of God a few weeks ago in the context of one of the letters. Um, it may be a reference to Isaiah 11.2 because in Isaiah 11.2 there's a list of, if you like, characteristics of the spirit of God. To actually get seven, you've got to include the spirit of God as well. But in Isaiah 11.2, we have the spirit of the Lord. We have wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. Many commentators simply say it's a representative of the completeness and the perfection of God. Because the number of seven, the number seven, is the number of completeness or perfection in the word of God. The sea of glass in front of the throne... Well, that's a representation of heaven. You see, God is enthroned, in a sense, above what we might think of as heaven. So in the same way that we might look in a still pond 
and see reflections of the mountains and the trees around it, in a sense, from God's perspective, this is John's understanding, right? From God's perspective, he's looking into the heavens. We look, in a literary way, a literary way, we look up at the heavens, he kind of looks down at the heavens. And so that's what this sea is. And it's obviously also a a reference to the sea that was part of the temple. And um, if I tried hard enough, I could find you the reference, but it will take me a couple of seconds. I've got it written down there, but the font is too small for me to read without my glasses on. I need a reader as well. Oh, man, I need so many things, eh? In the centre and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day and night and night after night they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. And that's virtually a direct quote from Isaiah 6.3, which the audience would have understood very clearly. The main point about this, and it's using quite a lot of the um, imagery from the book of Ezekiel. So the creatures here are not exactly the same as Ezekiel uh, described, but their function is pretty similar. And what's the writer trying to convey here? Most likely, see, God is all-seeing and all-knowing. Right? The eyes of God, they rove all over the earth, it says in the Psalms. So this is a description of God as the all-seeing and the all-knowing one. And what are they doing? No, they're praising the Lord. They're worshipping God. And that's a picture of heaven where we will be supernaturally empowered to worship. You know, we, we wouldn't be able to worship God all day and all night, right? For a start, we have to sleep, we have to eat, etc., etc. And uh, most people probably couldn't worship continuously for more than a few hours at a time. But whatever else we're doing, and I, I think there's work in heaven, by the way, and we'll talk about that one of these days, but whatever else we're doing, we will be doing it in the context of worship. And uh, the idea of worship occurs at least six or seven times in the book of Revelation. And uh, Revel- the, the um, chapter continues with this theme of worship. Whenever the living beings give glory and honour and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship. That's the whole church fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. The the elders, which of course is spoken about in in in, in, uh, verse 4, they had golden crowns. And see, it actually says in the psalm, in Psalm 8, I think it is, we're crowned. See, we're crowned with glory. 
The gold represents glory and honor. And what are the elders doing as they worship? They put their crown on the, on the ground in obedience to, to the deity. And the worship is continued. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you please. So this chapter is a preamble to the rest of the book of Revelation. It's fundamentally a description about life in heaven. A life of uninterrupted worship. Worship won't be interrupted by sickness or sorrow or accident. None of those things because we will have resurrected bodies. We will be whole. And out of our gratitude, out of our love for God, we won't be able to stop worshipping Him. As if we were in the temple of old and worshipping in His presence. The trumpet blast, the trumpet blast is saying to us, listen, listen, I have an announcement to make. And so chapter 4 prepares us for the announcement that God has to make. And the announcement really is twofold or comes in two parts. One is of this continual worship in heaven. And the other, of course, is the turmoil on earth. There are those, of course, who end up worshipping the beast. Those, we'll talk about the rapture probably next week or the week after. Those who are not raptured, there will be still people who are coming to the Lord uh, during that period of uh, the tribulation and uh, they will be persecuted. So simultaneously in heaven we'll have worship but on earth there will be chaos and there'll be pers persecution, not persecution, persecution of those who have taken the very brave step of saying yes, we're going to become followers of Jesus Christ. And of course in relation to the, the uh, tribulation and to the rapture, different people say the rapture happens at different times. And some people say it doesn't happen at all. Some say it happens prior to tribulation. Some say it happens at the end of the period of tribulation. And some say it happens somewhere in between. We will explore this in a little more detail in a couple of weeks' time. But it's a preamble. It's, it's setting us up for what God is about to say. And remember this, although you can pick up 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 different commentaries and probably there won't be all that much agreement among them, remember this, the one promise we have made in the book of, well there are many others, but the, the, there's a major promise that we have made in the book of Revelation that says this, he who teaches from the book of Revelation will be blessed and he who hears will be blessed. So the one thing we can be certain of, even though we might get a little bit confused, is that we're going to be blessed. Because that promise is made right at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Well, folk, be blessed. 